All right, welcome to Colin Shots, Seth Partnow, joined today by the uh, most frequent guest on this show so far, uh, making, I believe, his third appearance. Uh, kind enough to join me on a Monday night. He begged off a Friday night, so we didn't do a show. Uh, Eric Name of The Athletic. How's it going, buddy? I am well. How are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty well. It's funny I'm asking you how we're doing as if we weren't group chatting through that entire game. <laughs> uh, that is indeed interesting, uh, but... You know, we gotta we gotta be a part of the business. We can't let people in on the show. <laughs> That's right. No, no letting people behind the curtain. Um, so, having completely not talked about anything about this game before, uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think when everyone's gonna look at this game, you're gonna try to figure out how it's possible that Steph Curry had. Uh, I don't know if it's the worst shooting performance of his life. I don't know if that's too far. Um, but one of the worst playoff performances he's had from a shooting perspective, I believe. And the Warriors still won this game handily. Like, I think that's got to be the first one. That, that's got to be the first thing everyone's thinking about, right? So let's start there. Um, uh, a friend of the program, friend of ours, uh, Dave Dufour, was, I think, a little bit tongue-in-cheek on Twitter talking about how great he thought Steph was playing. Um, I think that's going a little far, but I thought Steph, like, you know, to the extent you can play well without making shots, I think that's fair to say about Steph tonight. Yeah, no, I I think that's fair. Um, but also that is a level of nuance that I don't think people will remember, uh, in any amount of time. They might not even remember it in this moment. They might not even notice it in this moment. Like (laughs) he shot terrible. Yeah. That's all anyone's going to think about. And, I mean, I think, you know, we were the first half uh, in our group chat, but, you know, when you look through this game, like, the Celtics made a very concerted effort to make things very difficult on Steph, and that was going to be their goal. And they did it. They succeeded. But, you know, I thought it was pretty evident in the first five minutes that, by doing that, by putting that focus on that, you were going to open things up for just about everyone else. And, you, you know, if you're if you're talking about, like, you know, the balance, right, that you have to strike between really trying to shut down one specific player and letting other players get loose, like, that's probably it, right? Like, the, Draymond Green looked more alive in the first five minutes than he's looked in, I don't know, a long time in this series, right? And I just thought there there was a lot of that where you have to to kind of balance balance all that out, and it, it kind of let everyone get loose. And uh, you know, Wiggins had a fantastic second half, uh, and honestly, he that second quarter where he kind of just got to his spots, figured everything's out. Like uh, Wiggins was fantastic. Like across the board, you have different guys making you know actual impacts, and I, I think a lot of that is because the the Celtics decided so much of what they were going to do was going to be based on keeping Steph Curry quiet. I think that's right. I mean, I think if there's there's obviously the images that are going to be indelible from this game are all going to be Andrew Wiggins getting downhill. I think. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like the, the the exclamation part is the is the is the the big punch on 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 uh, on on Derek White, you know, to to really you know put a button on this, but. Um, you know, to to your to the point you were making earlier, I think that um, one of the things that made sort of Warriors 1.0 so formidable was 
you bring two to Steph and all of a sudden you're giving up half-court fast breaks. Now, as Draymond has sort of declined as an offensive player, we don't see it as much. But I think we saw that for everything, every part of the game, except for really the third quarter. I think we saw a bunch of that. And really, like, uh, you can say whatever you want about Draymond and whether or not that was a great game or a terrible game, but eight points, eight rebounds, six assists, that's all helpful. Um, And those are all things that, uh, you know, I think highlight a a solid Draymond Draymond Green offense performance. But then, you know, you're talking about the the Warriors 1.0 stuff. Like, okay, well, you know, maybe it wasn't Draymond, but, you know, how many of those type of baskets did gp2 get like glove jr was getting loose on a number of those same plays uh you know uh, Otto porter jr didn't have a big night but they had that slip to start the game that was you know all the warriors ball movement stuff that that they always try to do so uh, to me i just thought that there was a lot to like in not having steph do all of that other stuff and not having Steph do everything. And and that ended up being kind of the story of the game, that you're able to get that playmaking and, you know, get some big contributions for from a couple of guys that, you know, are pretty far down in the pecking order. Like, you, you look at GP2, I mean, Jordan Poole, I know, was fantastic throughout no, a bunch of parts of that regular season, but he's been quieter, and, you know, he, hits, he banks in that three. He has a nice little stretch there. Like it's just all of that other little stuff, and I just thought so much of it came from the fact that the Celtics were were going to do everything in their power to keep Steph from from getting loose. So let's let's put a pin in that a little bit because, or not? Let me let, let um because I think that's a natural segue. Um, you know we're talking about all these other players getting loose, and um the Warriors still ended up with I'm I'm not sure what it came in at, but it ended up with an offensive rating about one hundred and seven. So, again, for this series, even though we've kind of focused, and we certainly did it after game four, but after every game Boston's lost, we've focused on, you know, what they've done wrong defensively in, in guarding Steph or whatever. This game, I think, was decided at the other end of the floor. Yeah, it's it's been interesting to see. I know as I got ready for the, the Bucks series in the second round, I... To me, the big question was, um, you know, the Celtics had that great first round performance, and you, every time I, I watched clips from that series, it was just like, okay, well, what happens when they don't get twenty points for free in transition? Because that's what was happening against the Nets. And then, what happens when they actually need to create in the half court? And and I think throughout the final three rounds, like obviously against the Bucks, it didn't totally work because they didn't have Chris Middleton and uh, they didn't really have the defensive weapons that they needed to actually. Wait, this is the first time I'm hearing about Chris Middleton missing the series. <laughs> I know, strange. <laughs> uh, but like throughout the final three series, like whether it was against the Bucks, uh, whether it was against the Heat, like whether it was this series against the Warriors, I think you've seen those moments where there is you know, maybe like plan 1A, and then as you as you go down the list, it gets tougher and tougher. And I just thought so many times in, in this series, and then again tonight, you see 
Jason Tatum, you see Jalen Brown get downhill and being aggressive and getting downhill is great. Uh, but there needs to be s- uh, another level to those plans. There needs to be more complexity to those plans. And so often tonight it was, all right, I got downhill. There's, so there's a word that you said there that I think is right, is plan. And you're saying they got downhill. I would say they were chased downhill in a sure. lot of them. And like, so we, we talked about Draymond earlier and, you know, he, his, his, his box score numbers are, you know, what they were, but I think not unlike game two, um, the Warriors and Draymond in particular were very physical to start the game off the ball. They pushed Boston's offense way up the floor and, you know, Boston contributed to their own demise by not making any threes and, and missing a bunch of free throws. Um, which continued for every part of the game but the third quarter. Um, but as part of that, and this has been a problem that that they've that the, they've the Celtics have had since the, the first game one of the Bucks series when uh, you know the, when Mike Budenholzer sprang. Okay, well they're more athletic, but they they are not actually fast with the ball, so we'll just like pressure them, and they've dealt with that poorly every time an opponent has tried that since. Yeah, it does feel like when when you turn the pressure up against them, um, and it's tough, too, because I don't even think it's like... There's so much of it that seems self-inflicted in many ways where I, I don't always want to give credit to the defense, right? Like... I think there's times where I can see defense and think, yeah, they're really causing those turnovers. But it's it just like there's enough pressure on Celtics ball handlers on the way that they get in their offense, in the way that they try to initiate. Like there's just enough pressure that uh, maybe it's carelessness, maybe it's moving too quickly. Like you said, maybe it's not having a total plan for what's going to happen once you break down that first level of defense, but. It really is a spot where you just see some ugly possessions from them, and and it's a tough it's it's tough to kind of at least for me think about like all right this is the way to fix it because you know they're built on having Marcus Smart who's a point guard but he's not really a point guard Derek White's a point guard but he's not really a point guard. And like the the calmest moments, it feels like in this postseason has always been when Derek White comes onto the floor and calms them down. But it it feels like on the biggest stages that can only mean so much. Also, that's sort of helped when it's Derek White going against Tyler Hero, or Derek White <laughs> right, going right. against dare I say Grayson Allen, or Derek yeah. White going against Jordan Poole. I don't think yeah. he got. I don't think he he's. In the last couple of games, I don't think he's gotten those those matchups to sort of be able to get into stuff. Um, so, and to, to, to that last point, I mean, it does seem like for players of their general caliber, Tatum and Brown consistently have some of the ugliest turnovers, some of the like the the softest turnovers. The I don't know if they're careless. There's, I mean, there was the play in the first half where where Tatum just kind of threw a blind over-the-shoulder pass on a nothing reverse to, yep. to, to Rob Williams that, that Draymond stole and got fouled. I mean, it's, it, you know, 
I, this is a, a thing I'm constantly thinking about right now as I'm preparing like the, t- the player tiers is, you know, how to talk about Jason Tatum. And it's like, he's like, he's like a 10% recalibration from being a top eight ish player in the NBA. But that 10% is so damaging. Yeah, and like that 10%, maybe it is only 10%, but it might be the hardest 10% to find. Mm. Like the the easiest stuff has probably been like mastered and figured out. Like uh, that I don't know, man. It's it's just really tough with Tatum because I I, I think through this entire postseason and I do know that um you know, when you make a run of the finals, this is how this works, right? Like, people get crowned. That's how it goes. Um, like, that is the story of the NBA. If you if you take a team to an NBA Finals, then you are player X in the league, and you deserve to be in these rankings, and we need to think about you these ways. And, like, I voted Tatum first-team All-NBA this year. I think his season absolutely deserved it. I thought he was fantastic during the regular season, and that puts him in those conversations. But I just think so much of what we've seen from him in the postseason has been watching it and like, where's that? Where's that other dude? Like, I I see him one every four games, but that other dude that played in the regular season was not making those same mistakes, was not getting sped up in those ways, was not as careless. Like, it's just been, to me, a a little bit of a, I don't know if puzzling's the right word, because I do think he's gone through these bouts of inconsistency um, in in the previous iterations of Jason Tatum, right? Like, I, I did kind of think, like, this was year five, he's passed it, he's figured it out, and it just felt like so many of the the bad things that he's done in the past have kind of come back here in this postseason. Yeah. Um, it's, I was going to make a joke about, you know, getting, you know, right to the point of being in that category and not being able to finish. Which that's, that's, you know, it would have worked. It would have been a good joke. You should have yeah, done it. Yeah. So, Let's uh, one more thing to open up, and then I know uh, uh, Abdul Rahman, who's uh, been listening to all these, and thanks a lot for that, has been waiting patiently for with the question. So one more thing, then we'll kind of get to, to to questions and see where we go from there. Um, do you think? Do you, what do you think we see on Thursday from the Celtics? It really <laughs> seems like we're focusing so much on the Celtics. I think because Golden State has been pretty steady throughout the series. And it's it's Boston has been very up and down, so it's almost it is almost like will the will the real Celtics please stand up? And what does that even mean? Yeah, man. I, I mean, I truly have no idea, and I know that makes for a really exciting yeah. podcast. <laughs> it's, no, uh, it's, but it's a team that has given you no reason to yeah, like any uh, sort of way. How, how could I? Right? Like I saw this team drop game five to the Bucks. I thought, okay, Giannis at home, he's not losing game six. I see Giannis put on an all-time performance, and, oh, Jason Tatum puts on an all-time performance, 46 points, matches it. feels him like so long ago. Pretty much basket for basket, and it was like, okay, 
I officially don't know what to think of Game 7, how this will go, and then the Celtics came out and just stomped the Bucks, and that was that. And, you know, we've seen them have high highs in the next two rounds and then low lows as well. And uh, honestly, I'm to the point where they are... Um, I mean, it just feels like they're an incredibly Jekyll and Hyde team at this point, where I don't totally know what to expect from them. So uh, I think any outcome is on the table for Game 6, because how could it not be? <laughs> like it, I, I've seen this team have this entire postseason run, and that's been the story of their postseason run, is that the same team doesn't show up every night. So uh, I, I don't know. even show up quarter to quarter. Yeah, for sure. Timeout to timeout. It's, yeah, it's just yeah. Um, all right, let's 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 get to a couple of questions. Uh, Abdul Rahman, thank you again for listening in. If you want to unmute, and uh, what can we do for you? Hi, Seth. How's it going? I'm okay. How are you? Doing okay. Uh, you, you know, it's uh, trying to make sense of of what has still been a very very interesting, very strange, very hard to decipher series. Yes, I have a question for you. Sure. Is, is the hard overreaction for Golden State offense because, like, we see Boston, like, stumble everyone in the Eastern Conference and make life very hard for teams, and Golden State has success against them and just, like, walking and having good shots. Like, this is game one... 107 offensive rating, but like Wiggins missing shot, Foster missing shots. That's a fair point. Um, you know, because I mean, Gold, Golden State is performing better offensively than than Boston's previous playoff opponents. So that's that is that is a fair point. But I think the I mean the I think the the reason why I've kind of focused on us overreacting to that is it's. Is it hasn't been up and down. It's been, you know, every game has been basically the same. They may get there different ways, but it's been kind of the same level of output for Golden State. And 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 the real swingy thing has been, you know, Boston's offense. And you know, to some extent, I don't think it. Um, Eric, let me ask you. Like, it didn't feel like Golden State got quite as much off of Boston's bad offense tonight. Is yeah, that they like. They like have. 20 points or something like that. Yeah, no, I would say, like, it It didn't feel, like, quite as much. I know they still had 18 turnovers and I think 22 points off those 18 turnovers. Um, but it did not feel like it was It was quite as easy for the Warriors tonight. But I, I do think, like, the point overall is is probably accurate, right? Like, the reason why I think you feel more confident in the Warriors night tonight is because frankly, they've been more consistent night to night. Like, and that's that's just a spot where, again, maybe the highs haven't been as high as some of the, the Celtics performances, but they've just been consistent throughout all of this. And, uh, you know, they have a guy in Steph Curry where I think we all believe in kind of what he can do and how he plays. And I don't think we have that same level of belief in, in Jason Tatum. And then, you know, I guess to a lesser extent, J- Jalen Brown as well. Yeah, no, I think... It, I've, I made this analogy somewhere else it, uh, uh, today is that, um, you know, there's kind of an expression in soccer where you kind of sometimes need someone to put their foot on the ball, just someone to, all right, calm down. We right. got this. And the Warriors have that in Steph. 
and the Celtics emphatically do yep. not. And so, we, like, like even if they're not making shots, you know, it, as long as Steph is in the game, it doesn't seem like the Warriors are going to go long periods with just terrible offensive process. No, I, th- I think that's 100% right. I think that's yeah. that's really been a spot in this series. And honestly, you know, through the playoffs, like like I said earlier, like it has felt like Derek White was that guy for much of the Celtics run. And that's <laughs> and that's, that's not they're, they're not quite the same level of player. Yeah, exactly. Like that's not I think that and the fact that I don't think out of hand you absolutely rejected that from me speaks to its truth and also speaks to a larger problem, right? Like, the the guy that studies you can't be a guy that you're playing 20 minutes a night in an NBA Finals, right? Like, the guy that studies you should be the guy that's out there all the time so he can, oh, you know, study you all the time. Unless it's Jordan McLaughlin for for the Timberwolves. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, uh, we got we got a bunch of people waiting for for questions, so thanks thanks a lot, Abdul Rahman. Thanks, thanks. thanks for listening again. Uh, Nick, uh, bring you up on stage here. Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, thanks for taking the time and sure. loving the reaction pod. Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask a question about something that I find, and it kind of seems like you do too, very just confusing about the, because as much as like the series has seemed to come down to these uh, inexplicable stretches where the Celtics look like they don't know how to play offense and where uh, it's just like, it looks absolutely terrible. And I'm a little confused though. And maybe this is my own ignorance. It feels a little weird that this is happening against this Warriors team that theoretically you think might have like more attackable pieces than despite like them also being like really good at getting deflection skills, etc. I'm just, is there anything uh, I say to someone who wants Boston to lose are, are they just tired? Because um, the, the finishing at the rim part just seems like, as much as they're not amazing at that, like J, uh, uh, the, the Jalen's, like Jalen Brown, Jason Taylor, just like it seems like they're, and, and I, I thought that was like the case with Curry tonight, where he just didn't look like he had his legs the way he did, which is why actually I thought the Celtics had been defending him correctly. Um, but am I is fatigue playing a, a larger role than normal, uh, considering like how much of a gauntlet the Celtics have gone through? Because I'm just having a lot of trouble figuring it out. Sure. So I have I you know I have a, I want to take that answer sort of a different direction. So, but Eric, why don't you like what what do you think about that before I? So I think one thing that's tough to square up is that we've always thought of this Warriors team as a finesse team that scores a bunch of points and wins, and they were the second-best defense in the league this year. And, um, you know, I think there are, you know, maybe some of those weak points um, that you can't attack, but I, I think we all think of it as like, oh, yeah, Steph Curry. And Steph Curry works his ass off. I mean, my God, like... That dude understands what he's not good at and the ways that you can take advantage of him and does everything in his power to not be that and then make up for it in other ways. And, I I mean, I think that's one thing that I just find myself as I watch games in this series, like, dang, that dude just works and works and works on defense. And then, you know, you go around. Clay Thompson's lost a step, but he's still solid. 
and especially in an NBA Finals where you can play more physical, he's going to have good nights. Wiggins has been, can I say a revelation defensively this playoffs? Like, uh, I, I, his best he's ever played. His one-on-one defense against guys is, I mean, it, it has been smothering. It, it has been physical. It is, he's got quick feet. I just think when you have those two kind of at the point of attack, and again, maybe they aren't uh, Drew Holiday and Marcus Smart, but like they are very good at the point of attack. And then you have Draymond Green, who's maybe the best help defender of all time. Um, it, maybe Giannis would have something to say about that, but put him high on that list. Draymond is generational as a help defender. And, and I just don't think it's as easy to find those spots against the Warriors as as it should be. And, I mean, like like you texted me in the first half, sometimes you just got to finish through contact. And and that is something that Tatum and, Br- and Brown have really struggled with in this series. Um, but if that's if that's the goal and you got to finish through contact, you know, Wiggs and, and Thompson and Green are three tough guys to try to do it through. And, and I guess Kevon Looney as well. Yeah, that's, he's, that's he's the been, name, he's, that's the name he's, you hadn't mentioned yet that I was, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, he had foul trouble tonight, so he only played 17 minutes, but Looney's a load at, at the rim as well. So, like, you just have a bunch of guys that, you know, I think across the team. And GP2 was fantastic tonight in 26 minutes. Another hard nose point of attack defender. Like, I just think they've, in some ways, they don't have a shot blocker like uh, like Robert Williams, but they do have a lot of dudes that are really good and really aggressive at the point of attack. And uh, I think maybe it is specifically Tatum and Brown's weaknesses that if you speed them up, they're not as controlled as finishers as they need to be. Um but I, I do think this Warriors team is probably a little bit underrated defensively. I, I think I think there, there's a lot to, to a lot to that. I think that the the one thing, and this has been sort of my one of my hobby horses over the last couple of years, is the importance of physical strength in, in the postseason. And you know, uh, there's an article a day about like you know how like Steph is up to 200 pounds and he's strong. Like other than Pool, like everyone who plays for the Warriors is strong. Yep. And I think that means that on those drives, like they are, you know, they are, this is, this is it's one of the things that Draymond has built his career on is, okay, I'm undersized, so I can be physical as hell with you. And they're like getting, you know, they're getting into the, the Celtics drivers, they're taking their legs away. And so they can't elevate. And then, you know, Tatum and Brown don't protect the ball well. And so there's a lot of uh, really kind of funky things that come out. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I, I've told you this many times before, if I actually ever got to coach an NBA team uh, or GM an NBA team, uh, I would somehow let everyone know that we are going to be undersized and we are going to foul the shit out of everyone all the time. And that's just how we're going to play basketball. That That is what our defense is based on. And there might be some regular season games where it's kind of rough, but in the playoffs, that shit plays, period. Like, ever, like referees are going to let you play more physically, and if you have the strong dudes... 
they're going to get the benefit of the doubt of, of the doubt, especially if they're undersized in some way against the other players that they're playing against. Like I just think that's what we've seen again and again uh, in the postseason. And you know, I think part of the reason why the Celtics were so good defensively this year is they had all of that, and then they added in Robert Williams, who is an insane rim protector as well. Uh, where it was just like, how do you beat this defense? They're incredible. Um, so that's that's an aside, but I, I agree with you. Physical strength is very important in the postseason. So I, I did, and where are yeah, we? I guess just to quickly oh, follow up on that. Sorry, sure. I was going to say it's like like a million percent agree on all those aspects of like I mean, in in a lot of ways, in addition to the brilliance of the individual players, like it's their how just they've been as much of a defensive revelation across the entire dynasty more than anything else. And with incredible conditioning and physical strength and all the above. But I guess like it just, I feel like they look, the stuff with Boston seems more self-inflicted than it did against Miami. And even though like they're not perfect, like Wiggins is probably a much better match for Tatum than anyone who's on Miami. But it, I, I guess that was like my, um, yeah, sorry not to take up too much of your time. No, no worries. Um, so the, I was, the, I was going to, uh, Ben Taylor had a, had a pod the other day and I think he, I hadn't really realized this and I think he pointed it out and I think it's a really good point is, um, Boston may be doing too much trying to find those weak spots because a lot of the positions mm. where it's, you know, Brown or Tatum or smart dribbling out at half court. What's going on is they're trying to do run some like preparatory action to get the right guy into the screen. And what, especially when Golden State is defending well, what's happening is they're either pre-switching or just being super physical with the cutters. Right. So that, that preparatory action just isn't happening. Um, and, you know, I would say that for, you know, the first, second and fourth quarters, that's largely what happened tonight. And like the one stretch where Boston was, was it seemed like they were consistently able to get the ball in Brown or Tatum's hands against Curry or, or Poole was in that third quarter. And, you know, I, I'll probably have to go back and watch the game to, to watch again to see if there was anything like specific they were doing to make that happen. Maybe it was they were getting stops and, and you know, playing off of a live ball more uh, or, or could have just been that Golden State wasn't executing as well like like to start the start the third quarter or Boston was just not letting themselves, you know, not letting their cutters get checked being, you know, meeting Golden State's physicality with some of their own. It's probably some of all of those. But yeah. I think that's a lot of what's going on. That's what's making it sort of um grimy and ugly for Boston. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's there's so much that goes into playing great playoff basketball. And, you know, I think one thing that has always been underrated about just being a great basketball team, period. And this is something I know that you hammered when you were on the Buck staff because Marcus Johnson told the whole world about it on a broadcast. Um, but getting the ball up the floor early helps a lot. Like, as quickly as you can get the ball up the floor and into the half court is massive like you can cite the exact stat but it's about a point of offensive rating for every second earlier yeah and get into your offense so like this is what you have to be thinking about in in a postseason offense possession how do i get the ball up the floor as fast as possible 
how do I get into my set as fast as possible? Once I'm in my set, how do I find the actual action that I want? And then once I find that action and find that matchup, how do I have enough time on the clock to execute? And if it's taken too long, do I have someone that's talented enough to score in isolation? Like, that's a single offensive possession of playoff basketball. And you have to do that 100 times in the game. And if you are successful, you have to do it 105 to 110 times in the game, or whatever possession stats are now at this point. Like, that's, that is playing good playoff basketball. Then think about what that means your level of execution needs to be every second, every minute, every quarter, and how a single lapse in that can help build a run that craters your lead or build a run that allows you to come back. Like, that's how finite this game can be. And I just, I think that's something that's lost easily, right? Because you're thinking about, damn, these dudes are playing hard. Damn, these dudes are playing through contact. And I understand walking the ball at the floor. Right, like we've all been tired before. Like, I, okay, just, hey, there's a reason we there's a reason we play half court. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, okay, I get walking the ball up the floor, but like that shit all matters. And, and I, I think uh, again, I'm not a hundred percent sure on it, but I would guess when you look at that third quarter, a lot of it is going to be the pace that they're playing at, the fact that they're playing off misses, and, and the fact that they were able to get into things quickly and, and find a, a lot of those matchups that you were talking about in in relatively short order. I think that's right. And last point on this, and thanks for the, thanks for the question, Nick, and we'll get to Kyle in a second. Um, I, I think all of that is true, but I also think that that like. You know, by the to Ben's point, I think they're they're you know to to merge your point and his. You say you want to get in your action, then into your continuity. I think they're looking for like the perfect matchup so much, right. to even start things. It's like okay, we didn't get exactly the matchup we want. Let's run our let's run our stuff and get to the next thing instead of you know spend ten seconds trying to get to the perfect first thing and then we're playing against yep. the clock. Yep, that makes total sense. Like, um, so I think that's, you know, and, you know, a lot of people have made this point, including you, and this might come back to them. You know, I don't think like not having a true point guard is quite right, but their, their lead ball handler is, is, is Tatum at this point. You know, if you look at even the other wing sized guys who are primary ball handlers are just better at getting into stuff than he is. Like even... Yeah. Like the I, the the player the the comparison I was making earlier today was Paul George. Even Paul George is like better at just getting his team into stuff, and you know getting the offense moving. Um, and I think I think they're comparable level players, but it's something I think that PG is is, is better at than Tatum is than Tatum Tatum than Tatum is at this point. Um, th- thank you for the question, uh, Kyle. If you want to unmute and uh, and uh, what. Hey guys, uh, thank you for thank you for taking the time to do sure. this. Um, just a quick question. Um, so, kind of going off at of that point with the uh, the Boston switch hunting, um, kind of throwing it back to game two, we saw the saw the Warriors kind of ramp up the intensity in terms of uh, on ball pressure and uh, kind of setting their their help defense early. Um, we kind of saw Boston counter that in game three by making that early one pass away pass and then. Um, making that that skip pass and then that kind of ignites their their driving kick game so um 
And then tonight we saw the on-ball pressure again. That was evident early on. I I, I felt. And then, um, so what, what do you think the uh, the Celtics can do to um, counter that? Because they they obviously countered it well in Game Three, but um, obviously tonight they kind of wilted under pressure, and we saw that in Game Two as well. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a combination of a lot of things, right? Like, I think it's getting into your action earlier. I think it's honestly just being stronger and in more control. And I know that's like a, it's a nebulous thing to say, right? Like that's saying like, I'll just play better. But I do think there's like plenty of that, that there, like where, you know, I think some of those skips and early passes are, are things that happen when you make, the other team help early in a possession, right? Like right. you're, you're doing those things with purpose and, and, you know, with a sense of what's going to happen rather than I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm reacting to the defense right now. And as soon as that's the case, you know, that's kind of you're playing on the back foot. And, and like you said earlier, like you're playing into where it is that the warriors want you to go. Um, so I, it's, again, it's nebulous, but there is just like playing with more composure, playing with more composure and more force. I mean, this goes back to, you know, this is, uh, you know, I kind of first learned watching basketball in like the late eighties, early nineties. And Reggie Miller was one of the, the players that like, I remember Hubie Brown would always talk about this a lot. And if you ever watched like Reggie Miller, like run off screens, it wasn't that he was like, yeah, he didn't stop running. But the reason he got open off of the screens is even though he was a skinny guy, he hits you first. Right. And that, you know, and that's something that, the, like, the Warriors are, you know, in, in kind of game, the bulk of games two through five, the Warriors have hit first. Both, uh, like, offensively some, but especially defensively. And, you know, the, if the Celtics want to get into some action, they got to earn it. They got to, they've, they've got to, you know, not wait for things to start. They've got to you know, just get moving and run somebody over. Like, you know, not to the point where, you know, we'll get a flop and a foul, and we can talk about that, but I don't want to. Um, it's the playoffs. Yeah. You, it might not end up being a foul. Yeah. Like, uh, you got to make them call it. I mean, they, you know, they might, they might just call a technical on someone <laughs> for, you know, complaining about it. Like, an instant technical. That would be awesome. Um, I don't know. What do you think about, like, they don't do this much, but it almost feels like getting, like, you know, entering the ball to Horford at the elbows some might 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 be something oh like a little like pistol action to get the ball yeah. to the floor a little bit quicker yeah i yeah. mean i don't think that's crazy um i think it's a, a little bit scary because you're going to be probably throwing it where draymond is um and and obviously he's he's very good in those situations but if draymond's the one covering brown and you put brown on a wing and you enter to horford getting covered by whoever else on the floor like i don't think Otto porter is going to make a living picking that ball i don't think kevon looney's going to make a living picking that ball either. So I, I don't hate that idea. Yeah. And then, I mean, it gets, you know, if, if, if green is guarding him, then green isn't, you know, isn't the one who's pushing, you know, uh, uh, Jalen yep. Brown out to the hash mark to catch the ball. So, you know, I think that's, yeah, he's on the ball, but um, assuming, you know, you know, assuming Horford can be strong with it, like at least get you into something. I don't know. It's a, it's a conundrum and they've got, but they've got a couple days to figure it out. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for the question, Kyle. Let's. Uh, let's. Okay. My bad. 
I'll go ahead and go. No, if you, if you got one, like, okay. if, I was, was just going to mention one thing defensively. I was going to sure. say, you mentioned earlier how they um, they chose to blitz Steph and double him, and um, that kind of played into the Warriors' hands with Draymond and GP2 getting the, those floater shots. Um, do you see the Celtics kind of reverting back to, I know they, they play drop, but more of a more of an aggressive drop. Do you see them more? I know they played that a lot tonight as well. But they kind of uh, went to the blitz and the double a little bit more. Do you see them kind of reverting back to the heavy drop and uh, in the next future games? I, I believe I'm one of the great drop evangelists of the time. <laughs> um, so they absolutely should. Man who covers Brooke Lopez likes <laughs> drop coverage. <laughs> um. But no, I mean, I do think like the the drop is largely seen as evil, and it, it should not be that way. I, I I truly didn't have a ton of problems with the way that we've seen the the Warriors defend, or sorry, we see, we saw the Celtics defend the Warriors in the first five games of, or the first four games of the series. Like I know that it's hard to see people watch Steph Curry shoot fifty percent on pull up threes, which is an insane number. Um, and think that's the right thing to do, but I just think getting everyone else involved and letting everyone else feel the flow is so much worse. Like, I just think that is, that is how things go sideways when everyone else is feeling the energy of the ball. If you can keep it just that one guy, I feel like it probably favors you. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I think Ime has done a nice job making adjustments throughout this, this run, um, so I am really genuinely curious to see what they do to, to open up Game Six. Sure. Thanks for the thanks for the question, Kyle. Uh, Daniel. If you want to unmute there, or not, uh, uh, James. I think am I am I heard? Yes, yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Oh, thank you. Um, so there's. There's a play that's been kind of stuck in my head since the end of the game. Um, the, the Celtics have the ball. It's a nine points down, seven minutes left. Um, and notably, the action is starting like nine seconds left on the shot clock. Um, so Tatum has the ball. Um, Smart comes up to screen. He slips the screen. Curry and Wiggins double Tatum. Tatum passes the ball to um, Smart. He passes it to Horford on the perimeter. Horford passes it to Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown drives into Gary Payton, loses the ball, turnover. Um, and and I felt watching it that there were a few not great, but decent shots they could have got. I mean, I think Marcus Smart has a kind of floater that you could probably get to comfortably there. Horford maybe has enough time for a three. And I, I'm wondering, with all the talk of like the turnovers, how much of that is the fact that so much of the Celtics' offense, when it's not those isolation plays, is a kind of constant succession of driving kicks by two guys who are not great at driving into two defenders who are pretty good at getting a turnover out of that. So, like, I guess to what extent do you feel as there's a flaw on the number of turnovers the Celtics are going to have and how high is that flaw? So, I mean, I, I thought one of the, 
one of the things I remember pretty vividly in that Buck series was um, just how often Ime hammered the point that, you know, a good three is one where the ball touches the paint first and then you kick it out for the three. And I remember thinking like, okay, that's probably true. But I've seen threes created a lot of different ways. And I've seen good shots created a lot of different ways. And that isn't actually, to me, something that necessarily means you're playing good basketball. And this is something Seth and I have have probably tried to hammer home, but done so unsuccessfully in the last five years. Like I've always kind of felt like passing the basketball doesn't mean you're playing good offense. You could play great offense and have a single player in an isolation possession get a pick and roll, break on the defense, and create a better shot than if you passed it 10 times and went absolutely nowhere. And I do think, at least I thought in that Bucks series, and obviously I'm not as close to the series anymore, um, either their Eastern Conference Finals matchup or their Finals matchup, but, you know, I've watched a lot of the games. Like, I do think they they struggle with that balance because they are thinking so much about, oh, we need to keep breaking down the defense to get the best possible shot. And while it, that may be a good rule generally, I don't know if it's something that you have to do at all times. Like sometimes good is good, and that's just how it goes. So I think the key part of this, the, the, that's a great question. By the way, it's a fabulous question, James. Thank you. Um, I think the key part of what you're describing is the nine, the nine seconds. Um, they're trying to play, you know, the Spurs style, you know, create a small chip and, and you know, and chip away until there's a, there's, there's a fissure. Um, the Spurs, for the most, for, for the bulk of their heyday, never were a high possession count team, never were a high pace team. But they were a team that was in their stuff early. And so even if they weren't going to shoot with, you know, 15 on the shot clock. They were going to run that, like, you know, that the, the, the Spurs loop. Like, Tony Parker was going to enter the ball to the wing, sprint down the baseline, sprint out the other side, and maybe get the ball back with, with you know, 14 on the shot clock and then into a pick and roll and away we go. And you have time to do those, you know, right. to, okay, one drive, pick, slip, kick, drive, pick, and then, you know, and then, you know, you end up with an open three with four on the shot clock. And it's like, oh, it's late shot clock, but... You've, you've run the defense ragged for 15 seconds to get there. So I think that that's, again, getting back to just the point like Eric made earlier. That, that's sort of the mechanism by which getting into offense early is good. It's because you give yourself the chance to, you know, instead of Jalen Brown having to drive into traffic and flail something up, he can drive to draw a second defender knowing that he's got time to kick the ball back to Smart, right. who then has time to either catch and shoot or pump fake and, and, and go instead of, Oh, well, no, I got to shoot. Cause there's two in the shot clock. So I think that that's again, like, like trying to get the perfect entry into the offense and that, and like just not being able to, you know, like you can't, it, it, I don't think we've seen anyone, but maybe like the Grizzlies try to like pressure Steph full court. Right. Or even, right. Even like three quarter court because he's he's such a good ball handler and so quick that he just goes by you and and now it's a layup or a fast break or something like that. Uh, like T- Tatum Brown Smart don't have that, 
and that I think that might just be a flaw in Boston's roster, frankly. And and you know that we I think we first noticed that you know from Game One of the Bucks series again right. is is you know you 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 pressure up on them and they can't they might be able to beat you but they can't hurt you because it's the it it's they're not guys who are just gonna Tatum maybe could but because he is a little bit deliberate with the ball and he has the problems he has kind of in traffic it doesn't it's not a it's not something that you would just like yep no he's just gonna go by and make a play every time yeah so to to kind of follow up with um with what Eric said about um Udoka's comments about you know wanting threes to come from a ball that has been in the paint um that they clearly i mean seem to alternate between that isolation ball and and maybe just a couple of passes too much do you think at this point in the series it's become how do we win while also committing 15 turnovers do you think there's a way out of that turnover problem for the Celtics yeah I mean I think it's all interconnected right like I think this is this is one of the questions that I think I had about the, I mean, honestly, this is just every answer that we've had thus far tonight, every topic that we've talked about, these are all interconnected problems, right? Like not getting to your offense early enough, relying too much on, you know, Tatum and Brown, uh, smart, not maybe being the best at initiating, like all of those things. And again, this isn't me saying the Celtics need to trade Marcus Smart for a real point card. No, that's not what I'm saying. They're in game five of the NBA Finals. Um, they're doing just fine. But I think this overall is just something that they've really struggled to find a balance with. And uh, honest, I don't have an easy answer for it. I, I don't. I don't know how they turn the ball over less when these are the players that they have on their roster. Right. No. I mean, it, it, like, if like thinking about the things that you would want is like, okay, you'd want if like if Pritchard is in the game, you'd want that player to be a little bit bigger, a little bit right. better shooter, so that that like that defender doesn't feel like they can take the extra half step in towards the nail or something like that. So it's 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 you know, like at, at risk of sounding like you know a football coach, it's it's like it's game of inches and. And like Golden State has just been a little bit better at figuring out where they can take those inches. And it, it you know, if you think about it, like in a hundred possession game, like winning by, you know, five points is not that big a margin on a per possession basis. Mm-hmm. And but I think that over the course of five games, Golden State has just been a little bit better on those. And so all these little sort of flaws kind of aggregating to bigger problems. And then, and then, and then, within like the game itself, like the psychology of it, like the fact that Boston, like actually, I think got some decent looks from three earlier, but the fact that early, but the fact they didn't go in, meant that you know Golden State was like, okay, well we can keep shrinking the floor and keep shrinking the floor, yep. and and it, and that so it has it almost builds on itself in that way, and then you know you get the third quarter where all of a sudden they make two in a row, and they're like, oh yeah, and then they make six in a row, and then they make nine of ten. And you know, and and so it, that you get these you get these weird kind of you know swings kind of that way, just because the like 
you know, momentum isn't real except if people believe it, and obviously the players <laughs> do based on their yeah. based on their defensive reactions. So, it, it, I guess it is real. Um, th- thanks for the question, James. Thanks for thanks for listening. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's five thirty a.m. here, so uh, yeah, I figure. Well, good morning. Um, <laughs> good morning. Uh, well, thanks a lot, and uh, bring uh, bring Danny up for for next question and. See Daniel's back in line too. We'll get to we'll, we'll answer Danny's question and Daniel, and then we'll uh, get out of here. You know, Ime's played and coached at every level, including the College of Eastern Utah and Price, where he started his basketball career. But he's never been at this spotlight on this stage. How do you grade his performance so far, and do you expect any big adjustments next game and Game Seven if there is one? Um, I've been also. I mean, it, like. Judging coaching from the outside is always pretty tough, um, but I've been pretty pretty impressed with him. Just all told, like I don't, I, I'm hard pressed to think of like, you know, we we disagreed with with the decision to kind of like pressure Steph as much as they did, but you know, it that's that's not what lost them the game. Um, his his rotations have been solid. It seems like he has. You know, just based on like the candor of his in-game, you know, uh, interview comments, he's got a good handle on what's going on out there. Um, so I like for a first-year coach in this spot, I think that you know, it's hard to say that that we we, we could be asking more from him. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think honestly of of things that I've been. Um, most offended by, I guess, it, some of Steve Kerr's rotations have just uh, driven me crazy. Um, I can't really think of anything with Ime that's... How, how greedy was first quarter Iggy tonight? Incredibly greedy. Um, and, you know, I joked about it in the group chat, but, like, I honestly thought, like, he was going to try to risk going until the five-minute mark in the fourth quarter without getting Steph on the floor because they had a lead. Um, th- there's just, like, a lot of stuff that Steve Kerr does that I I tend to disagree with. Um, and I don't really feel that way about Ime. And overall, I-, I think those are the things, like, if we're talking about NBA coaching, because, as Seth said, we're not on the inside. We don't actually know what's going on. Those are the things that are always going to bother me the most. And I don't see Ime making many of those uh, mistakes. And And that, to me, is is really all you can ask. I think his honesty with his team has been uh, a little unusual to see. I feel like most coaches aren't that honest. Don't tell them like they need to hear it, but it also seems like his players love that about him. And, you know, I think the first couple months, it was kind of surprising to hear him get after players in the media kind of, throw his guys under the bus in a way that not many coaches do anymore. Uh, and I thought, oh, man, this could blow up in his face. And he went the exact opposite way. His guys really responded, and they've really done well. And, um, yeah, I don't I don't have any problems with Ime, and that's probably about as comfortable as I ever am judging NBA coaching uh, from afar because we just don't know enough. Uh, th- thanks for the question, Danny. Uh, Daniel, uh, got, got you back up here. If, uh, if you... Can you guys hear me? Yep. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for the patience. I couldn't find the button for some reason. <laughs> uh, uh, something I'm curious about. I, I wonder what you guys' opinion is. Like the Warriors are historically one of the worst turnover teams of all time. I mean, <laughs> the defining play, one of the defining plays of their dynasty, might be the Steph Curry behind the back pass to Clay Thompson that went out of bounds in Game Seven of 2016. Why do they feels like all of a sudden they stopped turning the ball over against the Celtics defense? And a Celtics defense is considered by many to be, you know, one of the uh, some of one of the, you know, best maybe playoff defenses we've seen in a long time, or maybe I guess we have to go through the stats. But in general, like why, what's working for the Warriors, and why do you think they're keeping their turnovers generally down against, you know, this kind of def- defense? Um. So it's an interesting. Um, sort of this is like as as ugly as sort of the the you know extreme heliocentric like Harden offense was like. If you if if you don't throw a lot of passes, you're not going to turn the ball over very much. Like it's it's there's a there's a there's a direct you know especially like you know passes that lead to to scoring opportunities. There's a direct correlation there. So I, I by which I, I guess I'm saying is for whatever reason in this playoff run or like in in this series at least, like the ball has been in Steph's hands to make things happen. I think a little more than than usual and probably more than like Steve Kerr would prefer. So they're, they're, they're getting less into kind of some of the, uh, the more um, expressive kind of pass and read kind of stuff that they, that they often do. So, and I think that's the, that's the spot where like, you know, the high wire act of, of their kind of read and react offense has led to those turnover issues over the years. And I just think they're not playing quite as much that way as they have in the past, largely due to personnel. Yeah, as I say, I think Zach Lowe had it in his story today. Something like 40, 40 plus uh, pick and roll possessions for Steph in, in the first four games. I think it might have been like. Yeah, ahead. 46. I think that's some. He had 46 just, I think, alone last game, which is the most that yeah. he had since like 2017. Yeah, I couldn't remember the exact, exact stats. So thank you for doing that for me. Um, yeah. But that. I think one of the things with this Warriors team has just been like, um, this is, I don't know, this is going to sound a little bit offensive. Um, they have less cool players to do cool shit. Um, <laughs> like, they're, they're guys, like, they just have fewer guys that can really do that stuff out on the floor anymore. So it is like, all right, Steph, um, let's just keep the ball in your hands and don't give it up to someone else to go get it back because we probably can't trust that person to actually get it back to you. And guys like Otto Porter Jr. aren't going to try to throw a cool pass. Gary Payton Jr.'s, I mean, is he going to touch the ball other than on a short roll? Probably not. Like, Kevon Looney, same thing. Like, there's just, there's less guys out on the floor right now for them that can have the freedom and the ability to, and the confidence, frankly, to make a play. So I think they've become more conservative in their nature. And maybe I'm wrong there. I've, I spend more time in the Eastern Conference than the Western Conference, but that's just kind of the vibe I've gotten in the finals. Their sixth and seventh guys aren't Aldre Goodall and Sean Livingston anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is, 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 is almost like to be reductive. That's, that's, I think, what it's coming down to. And, you know, I think even earlier in this playoffs where they've, they've gotten themselves in trouble was the kind of as, uh, yeah. And, and there was, I think there was, um, you know, Jordan Poole was maybe prominently involved in some of that. And, you know, <laughs> Clay Thompson trying to, to operate with the ball and it's just, 
you know, if we, they, 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 when they simplify it and just say like, okay, Steph, run a pick and roll and then run a dribble handoff and then another pick and roll. Like that, that might tire Steph out, but you're not going to like, he's, he's a pretty elite ball handler. So it's not like the ball is just going to like, like magically run away from them when that, that's what their offense looks like. I, mean, I think in general, he's also been pretty good passing this, this playoffs. I think this might be his best passing playoffs I've seen ever. Um, yeah, I can only remember in the finals, I can only remember one of the kind of like big loopy over the shoulder blind passes that he can do sometimes. I think that I, I want to say it was, um, it was the other night in the fourth quarter of game four. He had one of those loopy over the shoulder. I think it was, might've been the one that gave the Celtics a seven point lead in game four of the fourth quarter, maybe a five point lead. And then after that, he cleaned it up and yeah. obviously the, that's right. It's, it they, Cause they, it, like they, they ran a side pick and roll and like trapped him yeah. with Robert Williams. And it was like, he was along the sideline and yeah, I think that's right. Um, no, but that's a, that's a, that's a really, thanks. Thanks for the question, Daniel. Yeah, I appreciate you guys letting me uh, have a second chance here. And Absolutely. I appreciate you guys doing this. All right. So Charlie has been waiting for a long time. Let's uh, let's get to his question, and then we'll get you out of here, Eric. That's cool. Eric, uh, Seth, Eric, one dude I would argue can do some cool shit. The most besmirched man in the series to this point, Jordan Poole, mostly for himself, but offensively, um, had his second half-court end of quarter buzzer beater tonight and i would just say objectively without throwing anybody under the bus the universe love for Derek white compared to jordan Poole has been <laughs> pretty high in the Derek white column and i just think in the finals a microwave scorer like it's not easy to get buckets i know there's some defensive things but i feel like that's you know you you Seth, you were talking about momentum, like whether it's real or not, people like uh, that happens when you hit half court threes. That's just not by accident, you know? So I don't know. I just feel like there's such an obvious thing. It kind of reminds me like when Bobby Portis, a similar thing defensively, there's something aesthetically when someone like just struggles on defense, like we want them out, but being a bucket getter as a, as a Bucks fan, a bucket getter, like, Shit, that hasn't been easy to come by for us. So I value that when I see that, you know? Yeah, I think uh, it is. I think it's really hard. <laughs> Eric, how do you feel about Derek White and, and the love for Derek? <laughs> um, uh, that's that's a deep cut on the group chat there. Um, Derek, I want to know who's in this group chat, by the way. I'm curious now. Uh, so Derek White gets the most <laughs> ridiculous whistle. I see what you in, did there in the history of maybe the league. I don't know how he gets all of the calls that he does. It infuriates me to no end because I I wish I could have played basketball and, and get that kind of whistle. Um, so I, I would agree with you just from you know, a universal perspective, like the universe shining upon him, this ray of light that is the world's greatest whistle. Um, But then also there is just, I think there's, there's something people enjoy about a player being professional more than they can accept the ups and downs of inconsistency. 
Like, I, I think that is probably a, a by lot people, of people. You mean coaches? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like, if if you can be super steady for a coach, they're they're gonna love you and they're gonna play all the time. But if they got to deal with some highs and lows, that makes their job more difficult, and that makes them need to be able to feel the moment and make the right decisions and do some more things. And that's not something a lot of coaches want to do, right? Like they would, they would prefer just to know what they're going to get when they put you out there. So is, is it, is it coaches or is it pundits though? Cause I think Steve, no, it's like, coaches. It, okay. Cause I think Steve Kerr values what Jordan Poole does great, you know? And it's like, I He's think still, if he, I think if he did Jordan Poole play 30 minutes a night in the NBA finals instead of 14, um, yeah, so I, like I think I think there's probably like a, there's like a level to all of it. Like, and I do think right. I think Steve Kerr's um, threshold for dealing with that is probably higher than a number of coaches. Um, as you know, we were just talking about how many turnovers this team normally has in pursuit in pursuit of cool shit. Um, Steve Kerr is someone that, that can kind of let that go. So, I I mean, I'm fascinated to see what Jordan Poole's career turns into because, uh, as you said, I do think there's there's some really interesting stuff in there, and it'll just be a matter of time to see kind of what they can pull out and what they can tease out and how they can maybe tamp down some of those other um, some of those other things that aren't quite, uh, quite as consistent. It's, uh, you know, you get... And I, th- I think one thing we should recognize is he has grown into the series a little bit. For sure. I think the series started off pretty poorly for him. Uh, and, you know, in some ways, like, th- these were almost his, this is his first almost real playoff experience. I mean, you know, the the first round against Denver where he was good, but that was a no-threat series. Um, the Memphis series ended when Morant got hurt and Dallas was overmatched. So, you know, in some, like, you know, we... <clears throat> On Nerder, we we were talking about how like Miami hadn't played a playoff game until the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think I think that would be slightly unfair to the Warriors, but it, but still, it's like it's very early in his playoff career, and so he's still learning how to how to how to play in this environment. And I think that he was part of the problem he had early in the series was he was if he's going to be timid offensively, he can't be on the floor because he just gives too much up defensively. For if he's not like actively trying to make stuff happen offensively, he's just a flat negative. Whereas if he's trying to make stuff happen, it might work, it might not, but at least you have to account for it. Yeah, that makes sense. I appreciate it, fellas. Absolutely. Um, well, thanks for everyone for all the questions. I think uh, we, you know, we've been going for for longer than I thought we would, to be honest. Tonight, uh, Eric, thanks a lot for for agreeing to do this and extend your. Uh, you know, extend the, the evening during your off season as well. <laughs> uh, no problem. I had a great time. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, you know, basketball is cool and it's why I like my job. Um, yeah. So um, any chance I get to talk about basketball is always a good one. And folks, if you subscribe, read Eric at the athletic, because I'm, I, I, I have a sense that he's going to have a lot of draft related stuff regarding the bucks picks coming up in the next couple weeks. That is correct. I will. I already had some guards stuff come out. I got wing stuff coming out at the end of the week, and then maybe we'll talk about some bigs before the draft. Yeah. But uh, talking about bigs in the NBA draft, ugh. 
I think the Bucks should draft Jaden Ivey. That's, that's it's an idea. It's a real thought. It's an idea. It's a real thought. Yeah, it's a real thought. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> Eric, thanks a lot for joining me. Thanks a lot listening for, uh, for listening, folks. I will be back with a guest to be named on uh, on Thursday night, and uh, and I think on Friday, I think I've got uh, 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 continuing the Bucks theme. I think I've got uh, uh, Bucks. Uh, I, I believe his title is the CMO. Is uh, Dustin Godsey is going to come on and talk about how one markets an NBA team? Uh, kind of a a fascinating in, in, uh, intermediary conversation. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening tonight, and talk to you all on Thursday. Take care.